0: Welcome to another episode of our podcast, Let's Talk TriDelta. Thanks for joining us. I'm Karen White, TriDelta's CEO and editor in chief of the award winning Trident magazine. During March, we're celebrating Women's History Month. And on International Women's Day, TriDelta honored our 2021 Women of Achievement recipients. These three remarkable women have made tremendous impacts in the arts, government, and business. And we're excited to share their stories with you on our podcast. Today, I'm sharing my conversation with Carol Hallett, an alumna of our Theta Delta chapter at the University of Oregon. Carol has had an illustrious career in aviation and government, having served as a member of the California State Assembly, the U.S. Ambassador to the Bahamas, and now as Counselor to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. You'll soon see why Carol is so deserving of being one of Tri-Delta's Women of Achievement. Her career and her journey are an inspiration to all. Here's our conversation. So tell us a little bit about who you are and where you've been in life.
1: I have been um, a very fortunate person and a lot of good things have come my way. And I have to be very honest with you. I think part of it is because I was the only woman who did uh, a number of things. Maybe the most significant was learning how to fly airplanes when I was in my early 20s. And not only were there very few other women who flew planes, But it was at a time when I was getting involved in politics, I was working for a state senator uh, and a U.S. congressman in San Luis Obispo, California, and the congressman also was a pilot, but he developed eye problems and so I started flying he and his wife around their district and back and forth. And before you knew it, I had my own plane and was flying everywhere that I went. And it um, developed into my running for office for the state assembly in California. And one of the reasons I'm convinced that I did win is because I was able to fly to all of the various locations in that district. And it was a very long district, about 350 miles long. And so there were a number of airports and everyone wanted to come out and see who is this woman flying this airplane? And it it all went up from there. It was a very positive beginning. And uh, while I'm no longer flying because I have eye issues, I flew. We've owned eight airplanes. And. I have literally everything I have done that was significant I contribute to having learned how to fly airplanes at a young age and so and you call you call that your winning ticket Right. That is indeed my winning ticket. And I've always urged young women particularly, but, but young men as well, find something that is unusual, that is unique, that you can do that will draw positive attention to what you're doing. And it was just happenstance that this did happen. Although I will say my father had been a pilot in World War One. And the pictures around the house standing by his airplane really was always in the back of my mind. And it's what probably led to my real interest in flying. But once I got my hands on that steering, well, the, the wheel or the, the handle, there was no stopping me. And it was it. just a wonderful, wonderful ticket to a successful career.
0: I love it. And it all went up from there, pun intended. Right. Unintended. That is right.
1: <laughs> Everything went up. <laughs> there, were few, there were very few downs. I did have a couple of cheated death again events, but I'm still here to talk about it. So that's good <laughs> I just would would reemphasize how important it is for young women. It could be that you are an outstanding sports star or it could be that you are a poet and you become known for your ability to write poetry, no matter what it is, if you do something unique, it is going to be a really positive event that will be your ticket to success.
0: You know, one thing I find too, Carol, is the things that you are passionate about, the things you love, you do well. Have you found that in your career?
1: Oh, absolutely. In fact, it was because of my flying that I got my First real political job as an administrative assistant to a California state senator. And uh, at the time, he was a state assemblyman and then later ran for Congress. And I continued to work for both of them. But because he was a pilot, it was obvious I was going to get the job over anyone else because I was a pilot. And that in and of itself is very unique. Then once I was hired to work for both of these legislators, the congressman developed cataracts and I started flying, as I mentioned, he and his wife to all of their events in that very large district. And people said to me, well, why don't you run for office? He announced he was going to retire and it was just a natural. And so I ran in 1970 for his seat and it was truly based on that airplane, going to these fundraisers and going to various little and big towns to talk politics. And people would say, oh, there's that lady who flies the airplane. And it it. was just a natural. Yep. On the job training for sure. Now, I want to fast
0: forward in your career, Carol, if we can, um, to 9-11. Yes. Um, Which was a watershed moment for all of us, but it was especially consequential for the airline industry. Indeed. And you were a part of that industry at the time. How did you find the bravery, the courage to take on the challenge um, and all the resistance that you were going to face of redesigning airline security policies and practices for the industry?
1: It was one of the more unique experiences of my life. And I have to say that sometimes it takes a jolt for good things to happen because of something bad that has occurred. And in this case, I was, at that point in time, I was running the uh, ATA, which is airlines. It was then uh, the Air Transport Association. Today, they changed their name to Airlines for America. But I was running the association. I was on Capitol Hill, with in a meeting with Senator Kay Bailey Hutchinson and got a call from my office, Return to the office immediately. There has been a small airplane that has flown in to the World Trade Center and you need to come back to the office. By halfway from Capitol Hill to my office in downtown Washington, D.C., I get another call. It is much more than a little airplane. Get here immediately. The moment I got into my office, I called my senior staff together and I said, this is a crisis for the airline industry. We must take executive and very fast action. I set a call for two hours from that time, that was 11 o'clock in the morning, for all of the airline CEOs to do a conference call to discuss what we were going to do, what would our stance be. In the meantime, I send all of our employees home. But... It was much more significant than that because we knew that we had to come up with not only a new security system, but we also had to come up with a new safety system as well. Safety and flying as well as security that would weed out anyone who had mischief in mind and or much worse than that. By the end of the day, at 6 p.m., we had put together a network as well as a roadmap for how we were going to approach this. And I told everyone, be prepared to stay all night because we have to get this written and put in language that the airline CEOs will all adopt. And by four the next morning, we had our document, we sent it out to all of the airlines. They were all operating all night, although not all of the CEOs were there. By nine o'clock the next morning, every single major airline CEO and small airlines as well had voted to adopt our security system that we had set up. And to this day, that system, much of it is identical to what we established on that day because of 9-11. Now, through all of this, we were also dealing with the FBI, the Secret Service, with all of the other law enforcement agencies to make sure that everything was going to be secure, not only for the airlines, because all of the airlines were looking to us at the Air Transport Association to not only unify, but to actually codify what we would all do And it all happened in 24 hours. That's amazing. You think about, and this is, you know, I'm not going into any detail, but you think about something like this, a a true catastrophe. Right. And people who might never talk to one another are all brought together and have only one thing in mind. How do we make this work? How do we make sure that it doesn't happen again? And the level of cooperation for the next, I would say, six months was unparalleled. And then, you know, competition started to wiggle its way in. And you had first one airline wanting to do it a little differently. And then another one wanting to do it a little differently. And we were able to hold them together for a whole year. And by then, we were well past the crisis. Right. And it was on to our next biggest crisis was how do we get passengers back? Right. Passengers were afraid to fly. Right. And so a lot of people have said this about COVID-19. Right? COVID-19, yes, is something that has caused a lot of people not to want to fly. But they were not they're not afraid for their lives. People right. were afraid for their lives
0: right. Right.
1: at that period in the aviation history it all it takes is unification, getting people unified behind what will make things work. And I just happened to be the head of the operation. It could have been anyone, but you know, when something falls in your lap, You do something with it. Well, you sure did something
0: with it. I mean, that is an amazing story of the word unification, collaboration, this this shared goal, um, and really beyond a goal, a shared mission of of keeping passengers safe Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and being able to keep your eye on that prize. That takes a lot of uh, steadfastness and discipline. So, kudos to you, and thank you you know, on behalf of all of us who have flown safely since then.
1: Yes. Yes. But, but I just have to say that it was not one person. It was a team effort and everyone had the same goal. How do we get past this? How do we instill in people that it is really safe to fly? That was the number one question. Everyone kept asking, well, is it safe to fly? Right. And we were able to give examples and to ensure that changes had been made right. so that it was highly unlikely maybe not impossible but highly unlikely that that could happen again you know
0: it's it's one thing to to ensure safety it's almost a separate thing that runs in parallel to instill confidence
1: yes how true it is how true it is i well, want to ask you about
0: working in a male dominated industry, it seems that has been your path. So who inspired you or served as role models to speak up and lead when you found yourself so often as the only woman in the room?
1: Well, I I think going back in to when I was, quote, a little girl, my father always encouraged me to do things that maybe other girls wouldn't be doing, and um, just by um, this is not part of the, the story, but it is kind of interesting. My mother died uh, at childbirth, and my sister's father died four months before she was born. So here we had a woman with a little baby and a man with a little baby. They were introduced to one another by mutual friends, and just about the time I was turning two and my sister, who was four and a half months older, had already turned two, they got married. My sister and I had no idea that we hadn't always been together. We were too young to go. Yeah. Really know. We grew up and my father treated my sister just as if she was his own child as well, as did our mother. And so my father was a great fisherman and a hunter. He wanted both my sister and me to fish and hunt with him. Well, my sister loved the fishing part, but she didn't like the hunting part. I loved both. And so I grew up, I wasn't really a tomboy, but I did do tomboy things. And one of them was the hunting and fishing. And then we lived out in the country and there was no transportation and no school bus transportation. And so I got my driver's license when I was 14 and my parents got us an old 1949 Pontiac and we drove back and forth to school, which was always about 10 miles to school from where we lived. And so those were the kinds of things that had an impact. And I mentioned the driving part because you had to recognize that at 14, you can do some pretty dumb things. (laughs) My parents really instilled in us the importance and the significant aspect of always being safe, always doing what was right, not doing crazy things. And again, if my father said, here's what you need to do, I didn't ask any questions. I knew it was right and I did it. And so I am grateful to this very day to my father always encouraging me. I did not graduate from college. I went to the University of Oregon, after graduating from high school and my the, the most important thing that happened to me was to go through rush and to pledge and become a tri delta now i'm not just making that up because of our interview <laughs> it is because living being a native californian living in carmel california and wanting to go out of state to college yeah that was unique i was accepted at both University of Oregon and Arizona State Mm -hmm. and selected to go to Oregon, which was such an important decision. And then went through Rush, pledged Tri-Delta. And of course, you lived in a dorm your freshman year. Right. And so you didn't really get to know people as well as you do when you're living in the house. But we all moved into the house uh, in our sophomore year. And that's where I made some wonderful, almost lifelong friends, but particularly Nancy Smith Woodruff. And she was from Oregon. And of course, I was from California. She ultimately moved to California with her husband. And it was the other part of this that I think is somewhat unique and important is after my sophomore year, I started dating a wonderfully handsome young man who I'd gone to high school with, but had never dated him in high school. We started dating at Christmas, um, actually Christmas break our sophomore year. A year later, we were married in our junior year. I quit school to work to support us Mm -hmm. while he finished and graduated. He went on and got a master's, became a A professor. But what was really, I think, unique about all of this is that, again, I learned living away from home Mm -hmm. in the Tri-Delta house that not only are you on your own, but you're responsible for what you do. Yes. And I know your parents can try to instill this in you. But when you're with many other young women your age, Mm -hmm. And you see some of them just not really living up to the same standards. And some of them, you know, were not Tri-Deltas. They were in other sororities. I just really believe that it was those two years at Oregon that changed the direction of my life in a very positive direction, thanks to Tri-Delta and the friends that were there. And I stayed in touch with a lot of them for many years uh, one of them has passed on. Another one, we simply lost touch. But I can't imagine that today some of those friendships will last as long as they did back then because we live such a different lifestyle today.
0: Yeah, we're finding that this way of gathering is is opening some doors for people. Um, it's kind of a silver lining of this covid cloud we've lived under. Yes is people's willingness to join a call like this, right, to join virtual chapter reunions and events that we're celebrating, amazing Tri-Deltas and, and milestones for the fraternity. Um, we're actually seeing this bring women together in new and different ways, which is so exciting. It uh, is. And you, ha- you mentioned that you haven't been in touch with Tri-Delta for some time. There is no such thing as a bad Tri-Delta. There is no <laughs> such thing as guilt in Tri-Delta. Always welcome to come back and, and enjoy our sisterhood in the ways that are right for you. And so I am thrilled that we'll get to celebrate your amazing career on International Women's Day. Well, it mm-hmm. paved the way for so many, Carol.
1: Thank you, Karen. I, I would hope so. I've always felt that because I've been so fortunate to have done so many different things, that it's a responsibility to help and encourage and support young women to do something special. And that's why I go back to the flying. In my case, it was flying. But in every young woman's case, there's going to be something that will help them excel that they might not otherwise. And it's it's our responsibility. I would say that to this very day, I really try to reach out to young people whenever I have an opportunity and encourage them to you know meet challenges, do those things that you, so many people will say, oh, I can't do that, I couldn't do that. Of course you can, you know, it, always think positive. You know, the old saying, Think positive, think positive until you can no longer think positive. Right. <laughs> it's, it's just one of those things where we keep, we're letting ourselves down if we don't think positive. And okay. even in the most unfortunate crisis, we should not lose track of the good things that are going on in our lives.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Now, I have a question for you. At what age did you get your pilot's license?
1: I was. um I think I was 24, 23, 23, 23. Yes. Wow. And so I've logged over 5000 hours. And uh, mainly because when I ran for the California legislature, I already had, of course, learned how to fly. And that was in um, I was elected in 1979 and started serving in 1980. Again, having that pilot's license made the difference. And it was such an easy thing to do. And that, again, people would say, what? You're a pilot (laughs) (laughs) and a young pilot at that. Never mind a female
0: pilot. Yes.
1: But but I flew. And again, I flew for years and even after I left the legislature. And then we we I became the ambassador to the Bahamas. And in that role, uh, when we got to the Bahamas, the, it was a very interesting tenure down there
0: yeah.
1: because the number one issue was drug trafficking.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And about 85 percent of all of the marijuana and cocaine coming into the United States was being transshipped through the Bahamas. Oh, wow. And, and so because of that, we really had our hands full yeah. and we had about 200 special law enforcement agents in the Bahamas, just helping with this drug trafficking effort. And so one of the airplanes that had been uh, taken away from the drug traffickers mm-hmm. was made available to the embassy. So uh, one of our one of the other embassy officials uh, was also a pilot. And so we shared that plane whenever we needed a plane to go somewhere, so I always had that plane, and I could fly myself around the the Bahamas. Right. Which, is, again, it was a unique and amazing, uh, what should I say, access yeah. to the Bahamian population because they'd never had anyone as an ambassador come and fly their airplane. To wherever we had 700 islands in the Bahamas. So there were a lot of places where you could fly and meet with Bahamians. And again, it was just an example of doing something that comes naturally. Right. But because a plane was available, again, I probably, and, and I've heard this since then, I visited more islands and had more meetings with Bahamians than any other American ambassador, simply because of having an airplane to fly to all of these meetings. And it was over water, which a lot of people were afraid to fly in a single engine airplane over water, but it was a six passenger plane. So I could carry people to meetings and uh, from the embassy. And it was just, again, it was one of those unique experiences because of flying. We didn't even get into what I'm doing today. What are you doing today? This is awesome. So back in 2002, I was asked to come to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and help them with recruitment of members. And I agreed to do it. And I have been with the U.S. Chamber ever since. And again, did use my airplane to do flying from time (laughs) to time. And having been with the Chamber for that length of time... It is the largest trade association in the world, and it is for one purpose. How do we make business successful in America? And it is such a wonderful goal, and it's something that is so easy for me to go out and help bring new members on board or to encourage current members with issues and problems that they have. And I would say the biggest obstacle that I've run into in my many years of being a part of the chamber is COVID-19, because we literally, we closed the office a year ago. Now, here was another unique part of my career. I started hosting an aviation summit each year for the chamber. And this year was our 20th annual summit. So that's 20 years of being at the chamber. And this year, we had to do it virtually right. because of COVID. Last year, our 19th annual summit was the Thursday before the Monday following right. that everything shut down. Yep. You talk about timing. Yep. And we had a thousand people in one room. <laughs> you can't even Thursday. think about that right now. Right. And no one... Is known to have gotten COVID Mm. at that event. The US Chamber is really a a huge part of my life, as is my husband of 62 years. Jim and I have had the most wonderful relationship and the most wonderful marriage. And I just am so fortunate. And I'm so fortunate because he proposed to me in Eugene, Oregon. He drove up to Oregon. We had started dating, as I mentioned, at Christmas time. He drove up spring break and proposed to me and he bought the engagement ring at a jewelry store in Eugene, Oregon. (laughs) (laughs) And so we've been together ever since. Oh,
0: congratulations 62 years of thank marriage. You. That in and of itself is a feat, let alone your illustrious career and what a good what a good man to stand by a strong woman.
1: Well, thank you. That is so true. I will tell you one funny thing. He loves to tell people, we've been happily married for 60 years and 60 out of 62 isn't bad. <laughs> <laughs> and I tell everyone, that's because those are the 2 years that I was learning how to fly airplanes. <laughs>
0: So more good advice is to stick to it, right? When you're learning something. Just stick to
1: it. Absolutely.
0: Well, Tridelta today talks about our members being brave and bold and kind. And Carol, I have got to say, learning about you and learning about your career and what motivated you to do the things that you've done, you fit all three of those monikers, brave, bold and kind. I so appreciate you being with us today.
1: Thank you. You're so generous. I really appreciate it. And, you know, I just would hope that any young woman who hears this will realize if you want to do something different or special, obviously, you can't go out and do something that your parents have said, no, you can't do that. I was so fortunate to have parents who were encouraging and wanted my sister and me to do different things. She wasn't interested in flying. I was. And so... No matter what you do in life, do it knowing that it can make a difference. And we as women need to encourage other women to do those things that will make a positive difference.
0: Thank you and congratulations to Carol Hallett on being named a 2021 Woman of Achievement for Tri-Delta. Carol has left an incredible legacy and we're so proud to call her our sister. Stay tuned for more exciting events, programs, and celebrations coming your way from Tri-Delta. You can find out more on our vibrant new website, tridelta.org. And don't forget to send us any podcast ideas you'd love to hear. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at podcast at tri And please like, subscribe, and rate our podcast. We love five-star ratings at Tri-Delta. Thank you for talking Tri-Delta with us. Join us next time. Stay safe and bring you...